I'm Ben Clunt. And I'm Stephen Brown. In 2019, we started this podcast as an accountability tool for our health and our business goals. Through our discussions, interviews, and sharing of our successes and difficulties, we've learned we have a passion for leadership. In 2020, we're striving to grow our own leadership abilities by focusing on learning from great leaders in business and life, and continue to share our successes and struggles on this journey. We'll continue to have raw and candid conversations while sharing our own insights and experiences with our goal being to grow as leaders and as people. You're You're listening listening to Ordinary to Extraordinary. on <laughs> we just kind of bounce <laughs> off each other and or as breathe. appropriate probably yep yeah we're not always appropriate so we had we had to put an e on our podcast you know what that's for uh i was gonna say everybody but no uh, explicit <laughs> oh i'm not wearing any pants so this is fun <laughs> <laughs> well thank god the camera's from your shoulders up for those that can't see that's yeah don't move the camera please don't move it Oh, oh, okay. oh, yeah, don't stand up either. <laughs> We're in like a fishbowl, so if we didn't have pants on, it would be really weird. There's an entire glass wall here. Everyone would be looking at us going, what in the world? Ben and Steven do with no pants on. Yeah. So we'll do a quick intro. We'll ask you about you, um, let people know how we found out about you, and then it's really just going to flow from there, pretty free form. Asking okay. questions, obviously focusing on the books, um, stuff that you have done. And, and then the quiz, because i got questions about the quiz. Oh, yeah. Yep, sure. Yeah. I kept my quiz sheet in the truck after you talked at the Boy Scout yeah. leadership breakfast. And while I was listening to your book, Driving to Work, I'd reference my one pager again. Nice. nice. And I figured out that I'm a sociopath, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a separate assessment, but it could yeah. be true. Yeah. But you and I are the same, actually. So it's okay. I'm a oh, romantic warrior, too. Two crusaders. Crusader, yeah. yeah. Woo! <laughs> I, I told Steven since he's caught, I'm like, I'm like Braveheart. Exactly. Exactly. See? Yeah, let's just get going then. Let's get going. So, for anybody that's uh, here listening to us today, this is Ordinary to Extraordinary. You obviously chose to listen to the podcast. We're. We have a cool interview today. We have a best-selling author, and we won't call him a motivational speaker because he doesn't call himself a motivational speaker. We'll let him tell you what it does for a living. So comedian would be more um, fitting, actually. And, and Ben and I got to see him talk about three, four weeks ago. Was it longer than that? Probably four or five weeks um, ago, something like that. Yeah, the Boy Scout Leadership Breakfast. And I have to admit, a lot of keynotes I'll – zone out on but yours kept me uh very very engaged especially at 7 30 a.m and i I had three or four cups of coffee in me and a gallon of water i think by that point and i had to pee so bad so at the end i I was the first one to leave the table to go pee because it was another speaker after Mm -hmm. you and by coincidence when i came out the bathroom you were selling setting up to sell your books and i managed to get one i think you only had 25 as a donation that day and um, I got you to sign it, and everybody else was like, how did you get that? And I was like, I guess I went to the bathroom at the right time. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> it's prophetic peeing, yeah. Yeah. So, Dave, why don't you tell us and our listeners how you got into doing what you do, what you do, and then we'll go from there. Oh, my gosh. Well, there's a long story. I mean, I wanted to be a professional baseball player, but a, a tragic discovery after my sophomore year of college of uh, – Lack of talent ended that career path. So um, that always sucks. That's a terrible disease. Oh, it is. I, uh, as my coach was fond of saying, um, Mitchell, you have all the intangibles. You just don't have many tangibles. Um, <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Exactly. Um, anyway, I uh, I had worked in corporate HR for Marshall Fields in Chicago, and then for the Buena Vista Hospitality Group, which was a a uh, strategic partner for Walt Disney World down in Orlando. And I really loved, uh, you know, talent development and uh, understanding how people think and our cognitive differences and how that impacts relationships. And 
So I started speaking on that 25 years ago, among other things, uh, with my company, The Leadership Difference, and signed a book deal in 2013 to write the book, The Power of Understanding People. Uh, that book was an Amazon editor's choice for best business book and led to another book deal with the same publisher, Wiley. Uh, and that was the book, The Power of Understanding Yourself, which was a top read by Training Magazine. And and then one day I walked into uh, Northern Quest Resort and Casino and spoke at Boy Scouts of America. And <laughs> here I am on your podcast. And here I am. Are you drinking <laughs> wine right now too? Is that a bottle of wine I see next to you? <laughs> Wait, can people see this? I was told it was audio only. Okay. Yeah, audio only. <laughs> <laughs> the pants. He's not wearing pants and he's drinking wine. <laughs> This is not vodka. No matter oh, what yeah, sure it's not. It's not. This may be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is definitely. No question. Definitely vodka or gin. Yeah. I heard I um, vodka is the best way to deal with the coronavirus or yeah. any kind of alcohol. Yeah, alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> I but should be good. Center grader, right? Just like hand sanitizer. <laughs> mm -hmm. But So, Dave, you, you've done a lot and you've lived in a lot of places. It sounds like yeah. too. So it's like almost a nomadic lifestyle out of hotels too. So do you just have a hard time settling down? I mean, you've lived all over the U.S. and you still travel all over. Uh, well, you know, uh, law enforcement issues have, uh, have required <laughs> that I. All those, yeah. My lovely bride and I, we get wanderlust every now and then. So we started in Illinois, then on to Florida, then to Colorado, now in in Washington. So. Uh, I don't know what the next step is, but I'm sure there'll be one. I'm sure there'll be one. So you've been in Walla Walla for how long now? Five years. Five years. Okay. And what was, is this the longest, shortest of, of your stays so far? Uh, it's, uh, we're usually good for a decade. So we're about halfway through probably. And how are you liking Walla Walla? Oh, it's a fantastic city. I, I highly recommend it. It's the it's the underappreciated wine region of the United States, the mm -hmm. second largest producer of wines. And Walla Walla um, is just a beautiful little city out in the middle of where God lost his shoes. And um, if you can get here, I highly recommend the visit. Yeah. It, uh, I, I think I told you I was there a month and a half, two months ago, and we ate at Hathaway's. And oh, God, that and yeah. Saffron, or I'm just a sucker for their food. For as small as that town is, they have some of the best food out of any town. It's crazy. Absolutely. It comes with the wine, I guess. Yeah, it, it does. But yeah. So let's, let's talk about the first book. What was the, where did the concept come from? Was it something that you already had? This one. The power of that understanding one. people. Yeah. So <laughs> is this, this a concept? I think is what this is called. <laughs> was this a concept that you'd already presented on or did you decide you wanted to write a book and have to come up with it or how, what was the sort of a moment of uh, inception for this? Oof, well, so uh, when I was the vice president of human resources and quality for the Benavis Hospitality Group, I was ordained in several assessment tools like the Myers-Briggs type indicator, disk profiles, predictive index, true colors, Herman brain mapping. The thing I didn't like about, I, I loved all of them in principle, but they all were kind of um, clinical, you know, so you take this assessment mm -hmm. and they tell you, you know, you're an INFJ. And I would say, well, uh, did we catch it in time? Can that be treated? Um, you know, nobody wants to be a high D with a corporate hook C or green, mm -hmm. but under under pressure, you turn blue or, you know, that kind of stuff. It just took the fun out of it, right? So so when I went out on my own, I, I worked with um, another gentleman to uh, create uh, an assessment that would um, be valid. But my, my metrics, my report out is in Hollywood movie characters. So you complete the assessment and it tells you what Hollywood movie character you most behave like. And, and so... Uh, it started as a as a seminar. It was hugely popular in 2013. Meeting Professionals International named it the best event of the year at the World Education Congress in uh, Las Vegas, and that notoriety got me the book deal. Um, and it still remains in 25 years the most popular program I've ever developed. Yeah. So Ben and I actually got to do it, obviously, because it's that that's the the quiz that you do. I don't know if it was that one. That's not the same as the Warrior one, right? That's it. No, that's it. You just got a very small version of it. You didn't get the whole nine yards. 
Oh, yeah. so yeah. the nine yards. Yeah. We, we um, both, our talk was both romantic, and oh, we're going to have you explain that in a second, but I was a romantic mastermind, and you were a romantic warrior. I was a romantic warrior, and my scores were, um, this is why I, I think I'm a little weird. I had 18, 19, 20, 23. Yeah. So they were all really close, which I was like, is that good? Or and bad? I was really high in two and really low in the other ones. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so Ben, if you were, if you could just jot down the medication you're on and fax that to me, an acid reducer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, if you'd like, I can kind of explain your two profiles real fast. If that's Absolutely, that'd be fun. All right, there is a five hundred dollar fee for that. So let me. Stephen, give me a check. <laughs> it's in the mail. I think coronavirus yeah. might have delayed it. Yeah, postal service. Watch out. Yeah. Man, when that mail shows up, I'm going to have so much money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's start with you, Ben. First of all, um, and this is more explained in the second book, The Power of Understanding Yourself. But you've got what's called a nuanced pattern. Yeah. So a nuance pattern means that you have a high degree of cognitive dexterity. You can you can kind of shape shift a little bit based on your surroundings. Um, so you know the the value to that for you is that um, you can deal effectively in a wide variety of situations with a wide variety of people. You can adjust to almost everybody um, and, and be effective. So I would liken that kind of not to mix my metaphor and go into sports instead of Hollywood. But you're like the utility infielder on a baseball team, right? I can run you out in every position and you won't hurt me. But you may not make the all-star game um, because, you know, you, you you bounce around from style to style to style. Yeah. Uh, and that's really your gift. Now, you do, based on what you told me, you do have a slight lean towards romantic warrior and that combination I call the crusader. So that's a person that fights for causes. So you get most inspired to do your best work when you feel strongly emotionally about something and that there is some pathway, some logical pathway to get value, to get a desired result, because that's what like you like to do. You like to fight for a result on behalf of things that you believe in. Mm -hmm. So I consider you to be fiercely loyal, a very good friend, um, a very worthy opponent because <laughs> you would literally die for what you believe in so <laughs> i can't really reason with you once you <laughs> read yeah. uh, but so my c column i can't remember what c column was i think it was mastermind or expert or something like that he's mastermind yeah and was at a 20. 20 so that's that's right on the cusp so that's it doesn't really cause you stress but it's also not a preference so you know, and that's a style that you need to help you with Stephen, actually, because Stephen has a greater preference for that style. So uh, when, you're, when you're adjusting into that, you're probably taking a little more chances than you would naturally be comfortable with. Mm -hmm. uh, but you have a, a respectable level of risk tolerance. I wouldn't call you, um, you know, like highly entrepreneurial, but you, you can work in loosely uh, defined situations relatively comfortably. Stephen, on the other hand, prefers those situations. Not only is he comfortable with them, he seeks them out. Um, so that, now to flip to Stephen, Stephen is like the lead in a romantic comedy. So, uh, his, do you know his life or something? <laughs> what are you talking? About? His life is a romantic comedy. Yeah. Well, so you're both you're both heartsy. You're both uh, called to the emotional side of things. But for Stephen, it's about some fun and some excitement and some new and different and unique. And he just is trying to avoid boredom and 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 and, and embrace something that's outside of the routine, um, which is not as big a need for Ben, but it's a big need for Stephen. Mm. Um, and you guys make it actually. You make a really good team because I'm sure Stephen pushes. The creativity sometimes, the experimentation sometimes, and and Ben will say, okay, that's fine, but what's the point of that? I mean, what what value will that have for us? This is like having our palms read, isn't it? Yeah, this <laughs> is on. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. So I've read a lot of books. I've taken all those, you know. I, I'm a high D, 
in the disc profile and all those types of things. Uh-huh. So I was like, but yours, I think, did the best job of describing me as a person. When I was listening to it, I'm like, yep, yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So, no, it was. I enjoyed listening to the book. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got, I mean, it's like having uh, Gerard Butler and Hugh Grant uh, in the room. That's basically Ben as Gerard Butler and Stephen as Hugh, Hugh Grant. We've got a lover and we've got a guy that doesn't really want to kill you, but if you give me a reason, I will. Yeah, we should flip flop that since Gerard Butler's Scottish and I'm Scottish. Yeah, I know. I, know. I said that purposely. You know. <laughs> <laughs> what was your A column? What was your score on the A column? Um, it was high. So... I, I, I was a 23 on the A yeah, I was more than that in the A column. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so both of you are get stressed out by uh, being overly structured, things being too repetitive, routine, yeah. monotonous, <laughs> detailed. Um, mm-hmm. You both are more comfortable taking a chance and learning from the mistake than, than playing it safe by doing it the same way all the time. I think in your book you even said something like you, you uh, necessarily – but it was saddled on both sides, right? Like you don't want total structure, but you want some structure, but you don't want to like necessarily have the structure apply to you always. <laughs> Are you talking about yourself specifically? No, in the book, you had said something. I can't remember uh, what it was. And I was like, that's exactly it, right? Like I like compliance, but I don't like compliance at the same time. Well, uh, you specifically... Uh, will like compliance if it keeps people who are incompetent out of your way. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's actually 100% true. Yes. Because yeah. you, uh, people with a, uh, a preference for warrior, which is your secondary preference, yeah. they're known to write policies and procedures. They're not as well known to follow them. Which is exactly true. <laughs> they write the policies so that the people that don't know what they're doing can just follow the policy and stay out of my way. <laughs> so I have I have rigid structure for about a third of my life. So I wake up early, go to the gym, work. I have rigid structure in what I do, when I do it, how I do it. But then outside of that, I'm like you. Like when people ask me what I have going on at the weekend, it stresses me out to have plans. Right. You know, I'm like if if someone else has made plans for me, that's okay. I'll I'll go along with it. Like if I'm in a relationship or whatever, but I don't like having far out plans or that that really does stress me. So you hit the nail on the head there. Like Yeah, you, like, you use up all that structure at work. You don't want any more structure in your personal life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But <laughs> cool. I appreciate you digging into each of us a little bit there in terms of who we are. Hopefully the no listeners. Will if you like were that. one person, you'd be Hugh Grant, right? Uh, it'd be Hugh Grant Wolverine when we're talking about Ben. <laughs> And Hugh Grant's song and dance man when we're talking about Steve. Wait, Hugh Grant, you mean Hugh Jackman? Yeah, Hugh Jackman. Oh, Hugh, not Hugh Grant. Grant. When you said Hugh Grant, I was like, I don't want to be Hugh Grant. I'll, I'll take Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was Wolverine. You were dance man. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. You're more Hugh Grant than... Uh, okay. Jeez. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Dance man. Mr. Howie. Romantic entanglement by the end of the movie, so... But, and Wolverine always dies alone. So there you go. Okay. Wow. That's yeah. <laughs> dark all of a sudden, didn't it? Cool. <laughs> well, good interview. No, <laughs> Have a good life. Bye-bye. Have a good life. Uh, okay, so Dave, one thing that I was thinking about with you is usually somebody works within a particular industry and there's areas in which they – you know, new ideas come out, new things come out that they can educate themselves on. In yours – how do you keep things fresh? What do you do to stay on top of your game? Because I mean, it's a—I mean, people don't change a whole lot, right? In terms of who they are over time. But I mean, how do you stay? What are you doing? How do you learn? How do you grow within your respective field? Right. Well, so there's a couple answers to that, Ben. First of all, you know, I've done this for 25 years, so I've worked with literally thousands of organizations all over the world. And my the book that's coming out this September. Uh, on Wiley is called Peak Performance Culture, the Five Metrics of Operational Excellence. So um, in addition to understanding how people are as individuals, uh, you know, I get to examine um, how they look when they're in groups and organizations and how that how they behave in that regard and, and what constitutes healthy, highly effective cultures and what are some of the, the uh, barriers to that. And so, 
you know, I, I guess I, I keep getting inspired by, you know, seeing individuals in different settings and different contexts uh, and learning, oh, that's different. I've never, I've never witnessed that type mm -hmm. of behavior, whether good or bad. Um, plus, honestly, every crowd is different. You know, people always say, gosh, don't you get tired of the same content? I'm like, well, the content doesn't change a lot because it's based in cognitive psychology, but the people responding to it change every time. So, mm. uh, you know, that's where, that's where the fun is for me. Yeah. So can I ask you, so I work in finance, so I ask people about money all day long, every day. So how much does it cost to have someone like you come out and speak? And I mean, just a curiosity. Yeah, well, I mean, the-, the How do you come into my office and uh, analyze our team? <laughs> yeah, my, my customary fee is $8,500 for the day or any part of the day. So, uh, you know, depending on the organization, their needs, sometimes I come in for an hour for a keynote address. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes do two three-hour seminars where they have half their employees come in the morning and the other half in the afternoon. Uh, there are exceptions to that. There are preferred client rates if you if you've used me a lot or you're buying multiple events or if you're a nonprofit. Sometimes uh, you know we have ways to, yeah. to work on the fee. But yeah, the typical fee is eighty five hundred dollars. Okay. Yeah, I've just always wondered that. I just like you never never know. And yeah, and like I said, I get I ask people about money all day long, so I'm not uncomfortable asking you. <laughs> I, I am asked my fee all day long, so I'm right, not answering you. And then yeah. when, once you've sold a bazillion books, that doubles and triples and quadruples, right? So the fee keeps going up, the, the, the more demand there is. <laughs> That's what my publisher has assured me. I, I've not yet personally experienced that phenomenon. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. It's funny. The revenues keep going up, but his net pay is staying the same. I don't know how yeah, that's working. I, yeah. You know, my accountant tells me that's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> Brittany Madoff's cousin or something? I don't know what's going on. Yeah. So your um, your company is obviously called the Leadership Difference, right? And obviously your your presentation was great at the Boy Scout Breakfast. I really enjoyed it. it was one of the best. Um, yeah. yeah. The books really impressed. But what I want to ask you, right? There's this one too, Stephen. Which is the power of understanding yourself. That's the one I have. That's the one we yeah. listened to. That um that you signed, and then I've. I, I, I listen to books. I don't have the time to sit down and read books. I fall asleep. So yep. I listen to books when I'm doing other things in the morning. And so yep. that, that's how I consume books now. Yeah. Uh, well, I tried to read the book in a way that would allow you to fall asleep. That was one mm -hmm. of my. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not. Lull you to sleep. <laughs> if I sit down at night and I'm planning on reading a book, that's just when I'm finally shut off. So I wake up at 4 a.m. every day. So if I try and read a book at night, it's just. I'm like a yeah. robot. I just. Shut off and go to sleep. Good night. But coming back to the leadership difference, one of the things I find is that there's a ton of leadership content out there. And there's a lot of people that are highly quotable, but they lack substance. I mean, some of the, some of the best leadership gurus, and, and I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to name one. Like John Maxwell, I think, is the most quotable man on earth. Yeah. When you break it down, he's like a palm reader. It's so general. It's so like, okay, so give me something specific. Give me something that I can I can actually apply. And you kind of have to do the work yourself. But I find that with your book and your presentation, there was a lot that was taken away mm -hmm. right away. And it was almost like <clears throat> you're meeting people where they are and trying to lead that person as opposed to here's a cookie cutter leadership model. Go lead everybody like this. So do you want to talk about that? Like what the, what, how you came up with a leadership difference? and then what your concepts on leadership are and how they're applicable. Sure, and, and uh, gosh, I, I, I'm giddy that you would say that about uh, my work, Stephen, because I, I do think that is something that's very important to me. And I do get frustrated by watching speakers or seeing books that promise a great deal, and then you dive in and it, it's a, a, a very superficial concept that, mm -hmm. Honestly, if you didn't already know this, then you're an idiot. I mean, yeah. I don't know. it's like a lot of those self-help books. Yeah, right. right. It, it's 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 like when someone says, you know, uh, you know, the key to being a successful entrepreneur is optimism, and I just want to punch him in the genitalia. It's like, well, of course, yeah. I don't need that. I'm already optimistic. I actually want to succeed, uh, not just think I'm going to. Um, so. Anyway, uh, and and now you will get complaints from all the optimism, optimistic people that that uh, listen to your podcast. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, I uh, 
my books, in fact, it's funny, the timing is perfect because I just got an email from my developmental editor who went through my manuscript for my new book and uh, was, was very, uh, very complimentary of the content. She says, as is typical of your books, it is very dense. Um, um, wait, wait, what? What she meant? What, did she tell me I'm stupid? Um, but I, I, I do feel the need to explain things on a level that you could actually recreate it, you could actually do it, that this is, you know, I worked for uh, 12 years in corporate HR in organizational development, and uh, none of the simple platitudes are going to get you very far in a corporate setting. And that's not how you learn. You learn by understanding things at a very fundamental level and, and then applying those. So my transfer of learning is always absorb, connect, apply. So absorb the concepts, and I try to put as much meat to these concepts as possible. Then I want to connect it to your life, which I think goes to what you said, Stephen, that, that when I was experiencing your book, it, it felt like you were trying to talk to me. I'm trying to, I'm trying to make it connect with situations that you would have experienced in your life so you can see why it's useful. And then I try to provide like the assessment, like, like uh, the, the inventory of, of um, values that's in the book, The Power of Understanding Yourself. I try to give you some tools where you can actually start to apply what I'm talking about. And, and construct some meaningful strategies for putting them in your life. So uh, this is, this. Uh, I think Ben said earlier, I took offense to the, the title, or maybe it was you, Stephen, of motivational speaker, um, because that's really what I, how I distinguish myself from a motivational speaker. I think a motivational speaker is a people that can get you really excited rah, rah. in the moment, and then you you leave and someone says, how was it? And you said, oh my God, it was great. Um, and they said, so what did you learn? It's like, oh, it, he was just so inspiring. And but <laughs> there's nothing, they didn't really take anything away. So it was all really just ether. Um, so I, I've always aspired to be someone who's entertaining to listen to, but, but sticky. So when you go away, you go, oh my God, he was so funny. And, and I learned about romantics and warriors and experts and masterminds and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and it actually has an influence on your life instead of just for that last hour gosh, I was ready to run through a wall, but now I've hit the wall and it's solid. And how do I get through the wall? Uh, so I, I'm trying to work on ways to get you through the wall, not just inspire you to run into it. Yeah. So if, if, if somebody buys the book on Audible or ebook or something like that, and they're listening to it, is there a way where they can get the that book? Is there a way where they can get that little force, the ABCD questionnaire that we did? Yeah, it's it's supposed to be a PDF file attached to your Audible book. Uh, okay. So when they send you, I guess uh, I'll teach them how to do that. What's that? I'll teach them how to do that. Yeah, teach them how to do that. That's usually but how it works. Also, if you just if you just search Dave Mitchell, the Leadership Difference, and go to my website and email me at Dave yeah. at Leadership Difference, I'll send it to you. So yeah, uh, yeah. and so for people. Um, the assessment is in the book, how to score it's in the book. You don't have to pay an extra fee every time you want your spouse or your boss or your coworker or your customer to take the assessment. You have it. It's yours. Uh, and that was real important to me as an educator, too, that, that I gave you these tools. You didn't have to pay for it every time you wanted to use it. And that's what I was thinking, because it's like I might have the office go through it. I think it'd be fun to have our team go through it and kind of identify yeah. Their top priority. You, know, you guys could read it as a team, even. Yeah, and we've done that before. Listen to it, read it as a team. I think that would be really kind of cool. Because again, I've not. I've read a lot of these types of books and done too many of these stupid tests. Not saying yours is stupid. Hey, <laughs> and yours is the stu best stupidest one I've ever taken. <laughs> yours least stupid by far. Yeah, yours is the least stupid. I would be intrigued. Like, so obviously. Ben's with a, I, I call it a boutique firm. Is that the right yeah, way to look at it? Boutique wealth management firm. Boutique wealth yeah. management firm. But they put on amazing events where there's anywhere from 75 to 100 people. And I'd be intrigued to see some couples sit and do, go through what you did at the Boy Scout breakfast. And oh, yeah. then them kind of look at each other and realize, oh, you're a warrior and you're a, you're a, a mastermind and you're a know-it-all because that's the first thing I thought with a mastermind. I was like, oh God, yep, I'm a know-it-all. Well, that's what we do with like the behavioral finance exams we have them go through to identify their money mind, like mm -hmm. how it is they innately think about money. And it's so funny because the husband and wife will be like looking at each other <laughs> just like, yeah, 
They are a happiness mindset. They spend way too much money. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think obviously it's not just leadership that this stuff applies to. It's mm -hmm. interpersonal relationships. Mm -hmm. It's family life. Everything, yeah. right? I, I probably get a much higher percentage of emails related to spouse assessments than I do customers or coworkers or or team members. Yeah, I think for most people, when they go through this, the first person they think of is their their spouse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So have you had have you spoken to the same group multiple times? And if so, have they taken the exam multiple times? And how has have results changed, right? Does have you ever seen where a dominant trait becomes a the least dominant trait or anything like that? Or that would be a pretty unusual thing. I'd, I'd have to think that either uh, somebody was overthinking the assessment or something awfully major happened in their life. Yeah. Between the first time and the second time. It is. I mean, we continue to evolve throughout our entire life. The way we think is a product of the experiences we have, and we continue to have experiences. Fairly unusual to see huge movement once you get past the age of, say, 26 years old. But it wouldn't be like for your pattern, Ben, because yeah. you have an influence pattern. I, you could definitely flip and become what I call a higher gun, more James Bond-like, where your D is now more preferred than your B. So you've just kind of flipped your two primary preferences because they're very close. So mm -hmm. that's unusual. And yes, yeah, so I'm a warrior. I, yeah, I would say I did this statistic recently, um, and I think I think thirty, a little over thirty percent of my business each year is uh, return business, retention business. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also to a point you made earlier, uh, I do a lot of work for uh, for businesses that are sponsoring me for their own client events. And I think yeah, it's that'd be cool. Yeah. Part of that is, you know, to create goodwill. And uh, and part of it is also for them to get some good intelligence on <laughs> their customers. Yeah, so, so, you know, they look around the room, it's like, oh, that's why I haven't been able to sell effectively to Bill. Bill's an expert and I'm a mastermind. And so he just thinks I'm flighty and lacking focus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I just think he's an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Oh, gosh. So come back to um, do you do any one on one mentoring? Is that something that you've, you've gotten into or is it something you avoid? You know, I've, I've not done it. I, I've done it on a very limited scale for some of my key clients, but it's not the way my business model is set up to, to work. Now, with the coronavirus, I may be rethinking that and uh, yeah. coming up with a different business model. But, um, but typically, no. I, uh, I, I know a lot of good business coaches out there, and I think that that's a very important uh, role that they play in the business world. But it, my, my joy and my passion are more um, in front of in front of the classroom on the stage in a more large group setting. That's that's what feeds me. Cool. So one of the things we've been asking some people recently is uh, if you could design, and I think I know where you're going to go with this, but if you could design something that has to be taught in high school and or college that isn't currently being taught, what would it be? Yeah, well, yes, I can answer that very quickly because it's in every one of my books, all four books. There was a, another book. Oh, look, here it is. Uh, that, <laughs> <laughs> this one was my first book, uh, and it's now uh, 15 years old. Yeah, that's the Live and Learn or Die Stupid. Um, happiness. Your covers yeah. have gotten better looking, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah small publisher i think they they, they invested all of 17 dollars and 42 cents in the production the of cover <laughs> um, anyway um you know i'm fond of saying to uh, business leaders that you need to hire character uh train skills and lead style mm -hmm. and, um character there's really never been curriculum on character um in the educational system i think we've always just believe that that would be the role of the parent. And, um, you know, I'm not sure that that's working that well. Um, and I don't know that we want business to have to treat, to teach character. I don't know if businesses want to be responsible for teaching character. Uh, I don't know if businesses can teach someone character once a person is old enough to, to be working and have a job. So I would like to see, you know, and that's one of the reasons the Boy Scouts of America uh, did 
appeal to me is because they're a very character-based organization. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's one of those organizations that are trying to, to teach young people character. Um, and specifically, the one um, attribute that I find so important to success is what I call an internal locus of control. Uh, and this is just the belief that you and you alone are responsible for the way things turn out in your life. Um, you know, and, and I'm kind of fond of saying life is like a honey badger. It doesn't give a shit. It's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. And, you know, some of it's going to be good. Some of it's going to be bad. Some people seem to be a little lucky and they get a lot more good than they get bad. Other people seem to just step in every karma pile of poop that's out there. But, um, but the bottom line is you're the only person that can impact how this turns out. Um, and so an internal loss control is a person that believes that things don't happen to me, I happen to things. Um, and people with an external locus control, they're the people that can tell you all the reasons why things didn't work out the way they'd hoped. Uh, there's always a reason, always an excuse, always a unforeseen circumstance. And all of those can be true, all those can be accurate, but it doesn't change the fact that your life is where it is now. And life's not gonna fix that for you. Nobody else is gonna fix that for you. So you have to just take control of that and and put your impact on life rather than allowing life to have its impact on you and that's what i would i'd like to somehow turn that into curriculum and make that something that is taught really early uh you know perhaps even middle school but certainly by high school well that'd be great right just owning your own stuff i know there was somebody says if you let your problems be somebody else's problems you never are able to change them like you can't, you're always waiting for somebody else to fix your your problems, right? But if you own the problems, then you're in the driver's seat. You get to take control. Right. Talk yeah. about that generational poverty, right? It's kind of like a, a cycle and it's like until somebody breaks a cycle, it continues. And what, what was the quote? I think I, I talked about it a couple of podcasts ago. It's uh, your circumstances aren't holding you back. You're holding your circumstances back. <laughs> and, and that, that yeah. struck me. I was like, yeah. Was that, There's a lot of people John like Maxwell? that. Was that John Maxwell? <laughs> it might have been. I, I don't believe it was. Because oh, okay. um, that would be I a But He's in Israel right now with uh, yes. one of our friends. One yeah. of our good, they're flying back. John Maxwell is, yeah. Flying back, back a little yeah. early. So yeah, one of our good friends actually uh, knows John personally. So he's in Israel with him just now, which is really cool. Um, right. But it's yeah. a big group. And they're all flying back early in case they get stranded there. Yeah, that's good. Well, I mean, uh, if you want to hang with me, uh, we can take a bus back from Matilla. <laughs> <laughs> can we drink wine on it? It's a, you know, absolutely. We can do that. Yeah. Well, then yeah, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, at some point, Ben and I should buy you a glass of wine and pick your brain a little more in person. We'd like to do that. But um, obviously, you're down there just now, and we're here. But when you're in Spokane, let us know. And when we're coming that way, we'll let you know too, obviously. Um, yeah. So I've got more questions. Go for it. Okay. I was creeping on your Facebook page. <laughs> How'd you like Cuba? Tell me about Cuba. I saw you went to Cuba. Oh, wow. Yes. When it was legal. When it was legal, I was in Cuba. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah, Cuba is Cuba's, uh, simultaneously an incredible experience and also a, a very deeply sad experience. Um, you know, it's hmm. wonderful people. It's a wonderful culture. Uh, it is uh, economically depressed. Uh, it is, uh, it is, it's a shame that such a, what was once a vibrant um, city like Havana has, has really kind of lost its luster. And I think back to the days of Ernest Hemingway and when people were literally just taking flights from Miami to, to Havana, Havana back to Miami, and it was a very vibrant scene. And now, you know, it, it's, a, it's, it's a country and a, a city that's just struggling to get by. And, but man, if you ever have an opportunity and we'll see what, what the future holds for our relationships yeah. with that island, but uh, uh, it, the cultural, uh, heritage, the history, uh, the people, it's, it's just an amazing experience. So which one of you is a journal? I guess, did you get to go? Cause you've written books then where it was for a book study that you were going for. Is that what, was that how you got to go? Yeah. It was some kind of educational, um, 
visa. There was a, a visa if, if you went as a group with a shared educational uh, focus, you qualified. I don't know. I was, I was not arrested. I was told it was all legal. So. <laughs> you cheated the system. Yeah, Fidel Castro did a real number on that country. Yeah. For exactly. And the lingering effects of, of that legacy and, and, you know, and, you know, I, politics aside, and I, I, I'm trying to be gentle. I mean, we've, we as a country have made some decisions to punish them that could be considered somewhat extreme too. But, mm -hmm. you know, um, I, I'm, I always say uh, people would get along fine if it weren't for leaders sometimes, which is an interesting comment from a guy that has a company named The Leadership Difference. But yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's a difference between being in charge and being a leader, right? So right. Leaders, leadership is something that you earn, whereas yeah. being in charge is something that is kind of given to yeah, you. It's a managerial role. Um, so it's, it's kind of, we, we've talked about that often. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, well, we talked pretty, about leading from a non-management position. It was one mm -hmm. of our first, you know, podcasts of the year. It's like, you don't need to have the president role to be a leader, right? It's like you can lead oh, right. from the lower ranks. Right. You know, interesting yeah. for you, Ben, uh, and, and I may not have this history completely correct. So if any Cuban historians out there correct me, I, I fully accept that. But uh, a large part of the reason Fidel Castro took power was because of the efforts of Che Guevara. Mm -hmm. uh, and Che was much like you, Ben, in the way he was wired in that he, he was a crusader. He fought for causes. He was actually a very, very well-educated uh, gentleman, a, a college professor who became uh, a revolutionary. And uh, he was fighting for the people, and he helped install Fidel Castro to the role. And I think probably... Of course, he died shortly thereafter, but I think he would have been very disappointed with what Fidel Castro became. It was uh, an interesting study and a guy that uh, had all the right intentions, but ended up aligning with the wrong people. Oh, no. Well, it's that whole animal farm concept from uh, Animal Farm, the book, or, right? Yeah, or, well, yeah, um, yeah. You know, power corrupts and absolute power, power corrupts absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. And that's kind of again not to get political but communism and socialism in general it's like okay you're you're making this statement that all pigs are equal except the pigs that are more equal someone's <laughs> all going to profit right and communism in general just all it is is a form of oppression there's always you look at every communist country in the world and cuba being case in point whether it was cuba russia north korea wherever there's communism it just doesn't seem to pan out there's always Really poor people and really wealthy people and nothing in between. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I've got another question now. That I, I keep a notepad here because I'm forgetful, so I need to write things down. In terms of, so you've seen a lot of different leaders, I'm sure, a lot of different executives with probably a lot of different dominant traits. Is there a combination of them that you see as the most common amongst leaders of companies or of nonprofits or whatever you want to call, you know, leaders in general? Are you asking me? Uh, the crusader style or the, I mean, crusader style or the, or the crusader style? Uh, uh, so I have seen leaders with every style combination. So there is, there is no indication that, you know, a leader should be this style. But what I would say is that the best leaders, regardless of their style, have a level of self-awareness that I refer to as meta metacognition. Um, they not only understand their strengths and weaknesses, they also understand why they have those strengths and weaknesses and what they need to do to augment their own strengths with people around them that will mm -hmm. protect them from their own vulnerabilities and weaknesses. And, and that is a big difference among a lot of leaders. A lot of leaders start to develop, um, it's, it's like in uh, the medical profession, they call it the God complex, right? Where all of a sudden yeah. you believe your own press clippings and you think you somehow are more superior than those around you. And that's where leadership goes south. The best leaders recognize that, look, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. This is really probably what I've written to the role I'm in, but I need people that, bring this to the table and this to the table and this to the table. And they, they value that diversity and, and they embrace it. And those are the best leaders, regardless of what their personal style might be. Hmm. So 
you kind of mentioned that the leaders would surround themselves kind of with people that would complement the areas in which maybe they have uh, deficiencies. Is there, do you see people being able to grow those areas in which they have deficiencies too? And how would they go about doing that? I think, I think you can, you can certainly get better. You can always get better. I, I do think, um, and I don't know how to phrase this without it starting to sound pretty woo, but I do think <laughs> when you have some gifts um, that, that make us special. And I do yeah. think I'm also a big, I'm a big balance guy. So if you believe that we have gifts that make us special, we also have elements that we'll just never be really good at. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, like me hitting a curveball from a left-hander, not going to yeah. happen anyway. Um, so yeah, I, so I think, yes, I think you can, you always strive to be better and better and better and better, but at some point there's always going to be someone better than you at certain aspects of leadership and that's the person that you need around you to help mm -hmm. offset that little that deficit no one's good at everything yeah. um, and, and being aware of that recognizing that about yourself and augmenting that externally with other people is the hallmark of great leadership and so here's another one what about if there is an individual that doesn't realize the deficiencies of themselves yeah that's uh, that's tough. That's a that's a very frustrating thing, and I've seen that, and I've seen that at the highest levels of organizations. And uh, you know, ego is a dangerous thing. Um, it takes ego to drive you to the top, but unbridled, that ego can also be the the big hamstring to ultimate success. So, uh, you know. Uh, I don't. I don't know how to fix that either. I wish I could tell you. Oh, you just you know you send them away to this seminar for a week and that fixes it. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> the problem is uh, of people that feel that way um, and have had success. Well, I mean, why would you change? I mean, if there's yeah. no indication I need to because it seems to be working. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, well, who are you to tell me you're poor? Yeah, what the heck? I'd well, I'm sure. Yeah. Not to not to turn this into like now we're going down a rabbit hole, but there's a reason that cults. Oh, welcome to our podcast. There are people that that can just through sheer force of ego will themselves into positions of power and authority, and there are a certain percentage of the population that won't challenge that because they're just enamored with the ego or the or the will of this this mm -hmm. strong behavior. Well, that's something that Simon Sinek talks about a lot, where you know the kind of corporate structure for a lot of American companies for the past thirty years has been you you promote based on performance, not based on suitability to lead. So mm -hmm. quite often, CFOs do a great job as CFOs because they're number people. But mm -hmm. then when the CEO steps down, well, CFOs often second in charge, and he steps into the CEO role or the CEO role. And he doesn't have that vision and that capacity to to lead. All he sees is is numbers as opposed to people, and and the, he doesn't have the vision to to get where the previous leader wanted to go. You know, and right. things go sideways. So, yeah, it, it draws to mind a couple of different things. First of all, I, and I might have his first name wrong, and I apologize to his family, but I think it was Lawrence Peter that uh, first talked about the Peter principle, which is that we all rise to our own level of incompetence, um, mm -hmm. which I think is part and parcel of what uh, Simon is referring to there. Also, um, I've noticed, because I do a lot of work with um, small and medium-sized companies, uh, and I, you know, there's some truth to, there's an old Chinese proverb, um, and I don't remember the the exact name, but it's something like uh, dirt to dirt in three generations. But, you know, th there's one generation that starts organizations. And I think this is certainly true of family businesses. I also think it's true sometimes of corporations in, with, that have success with a iconic leader. And, and so this, this leader or this first generation business owner makes all the sacrifices, works hard, puts in the time, drags this organization to a new level of success hands it off to his successor, let's say it's a family-owned business, so the son or the daughter, who witnessed that sacrifice, who saw what it took, and now respects that legacy and brings ideas to, to, to grow this even more, uh, and then hands it off to the third generation who 
didn't see the initial sacrifice, who didn't see what was required, uh, who may not have the passion for it. And I talked about this in, in my new book coming out in September. There's a difference between drive and passion. Mm. Um, drive will take you a long way, but it won't, it's not a renewable fuel source. Yeah. So if, if you're driven without passion, you will eventually burn out. So this third generation may still be driven. They may still feel like, damn, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to make it happen. But if this is not their passion, they'll eventually resent this. They'll, they'll eventually say it's just not worth it and, and become frustrated. So, um, you know, great leadership to me combines talent with passion um, because there's, there's a lot of sacrifice and a lot of hard work that goes into being a great leader. So if you're not passionate about what you're doing, you'll eventually not be able to keep that up. Hmm. That's great. That's a good differentiation. I've never really thought of that too, the difference between drive and passion. Yeah. Right. Because we know a lot of driven people. Yeah. Well, a lot <laughs> of driven people that can be hard headed. I, mean, I think about myself sometimes like that. Like, man, I was driving really hard in that one particular direction and I really didn't care anything about it. <laughs> like, but I was running hard. <laughs> like, why was I running hard again? Because you're driven. <laughs> okay, but why? Yeah. Right. What's the point again? Yeah. What's the point again? Yeah. That's that warrior side that comes through, right? Then I got to know why I'm doing it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, um, what's next for you then, Dave? Obviously, you've got a new book coming out this year. Yes, uh, it, it's due to come out September 2020. It's called uh, Peak Performance Culture, The Five Metrics of Operational Excellence. In the meantime, both of these books are certainly available on Amazon, so you'll want to get those. Power uh, of understanding people and the power of understanding yourself. Exactly. And, uh, and I'll be traveling the world. I've uh, been contacted by an organization in Sweden and one in Estonia and then, of course, all over the United States. And well, you're screwed. You're getting the coronavirus. Yeah, I know. I'm going to be the typhoid corona. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> corona, Dave. You're yeah. under 80 years old. You don't have any respiratory issues. You're good. Right. And I'll, then I'll be immune to it. I'll have the antibodies. So There you go. Enough yeah, wine, so. too, does the trick. And vodka, as we established. I used to eat the Play-Doh at my preschool. I'm set. All the germs <laughs> I could ever get are already in me. <laughs> That's probably that kid. Get that out of your mouth, Stephen. <laughs> if, you, if you ate silly putty, would that come out like an x-ray of your digestive oh, system? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a colon? What's going on? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that could be a lot cheaper than a, col a colonoscopy, right? Just here, swallow <laughs> yeah. the plate. Get silly, buddy. Uh, Hopefully we haven't offended any of our listeners by, by joking. This offends them? That's uh, going to be funny if this is that. Yeah, there's plenty of other things we've people said. People get offended about everything these days. Is that something you've come across where you've, you've sort of given your presentation and seen people get really offended by it? Uh, I, I, I'm, I tend to be somewhat aware of that. Uh, I, I definitely do think that there is, a, uh, we do have a bit of a, what's it called? Uh, oh, geez. Um, oh, it's not a rage culture, but uh, a, a culture where people are looking for reasons to be offended. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, um, so I, I honestly, yes, I have been very careful to scrub my stuff. Because I do, you know, laugh and learn is my motto, and I think people learn better when they're entertained and they're laughing. And it's uh, humor is humor because of dramatic tension, right? It, it, there's something said that is what people are thinking but wouldn't necessarily say. So when you use humor, it, it puts a bigger challenge on you not to offend anybody because generally humor has something a little untoward in it. So I've had to really be mindful of that. And, you know, there's been a couple of times where I've, I've gotten feedback. It's like, yeah, I mean, there was a few people that were like, yeah, that was funny, but I don't know. And I'm like, well, yeah. all right. Whatever. You can't uh, beat them all. You know, right. You know, I'm a real bannock, so I hate for anybody to walk away going, that made me offended. But um, at some point, I, I have to say, look, I, I can't make everybody absolutely happy all the time. So if just know that never my intent to make anybody uncomfortable. But yeah, I've definitely been more aware of, of the desire for some people, at least out there, to to monitor everything for the 
chance that it might be offensive in some way. Well, one of the beautiful things about being Scottish, we can find humor in anything. <laughs> we are, and, and I mean, the most morbid situations, and we will find a way to make it funny. So I often yeah. offend people by finding humor in other things that. Well, you can also get away with it because you have an accent, too. People don't know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, I just didn't know like, that. I, I was there three days, and I said, well, it'll be good to be back to an English-speaking country. But uh, Yeah, and then you're talking to Stephen. Yeah. I speak <laughs> but, well for a Scotsman, I think. Yeah, yes, I'm everything said. Yeah. They, they make fun of me back in Scotland, tell me I sound American, and people here are like, your accent's still so thick. And I'm like, geez, I can't win. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, is it? a man with no country now, yeah. Okay, yeah. before we let you go, you're the only person I've ever met who's been to Transylvania. Ah, that's right. Very so let's nice. talk about your encounter <laughs> oh, real man. quick. I'll tell you what. First of all, highly recommend it. If you ever get a chance to go to Transylvania, take it. Um, and there's there's certainly a lot of the same situation that we ran into Cuba where, you know, beautiful people, beautiful culture, and a lot of the economic uh, oppression uh, lingering from the Ceausescu era there, the communist rule. But um, I can see why... Bram Stoker was inspired to write Dracula because that is the creepiest freaking place in the world. Holy cow. I yeah. I mean, you just you, like, it's like you cross the border from Moldova into Transylvania and you can almost hear ominous music playing in the background. It's like, so yeah, uh, Transylvania will scare the crap out of you, and, and that's during the day. So yeah. <laughs> but what about a certain casket? Oh, you a read that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, I still can't explain that to this day. I there was a hard to tell the story in a short amount of time because it's just like, wait, what? You're near a, a casket in the dungeon of an old castle in Transylvania. What part of that did you not think might be inappropriate? But I, <laughs> I took it upon myself to just lift the lid of this casket because I'm an American. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and all we have is a little torchlight here lighting this little room with this casket in it, and I start to lift the lid. And what I can only describe as an albino caterpillar comes out from underneath the lid, clamps on the lid, and I shoot back like I'm shot out of a cannon. And next thing I know, the other people are headed up the stairs. They didn't know what happened. And I'm trying to figure out, hey, question. <laughs> What's in the casket? <laughs> Never and found, you out. found out what was in the casket, huh? We can get out of Transylvania fast enough after that. But uh, somewhere in uh, Transylvania, in a in a castle, in a basement, there's a coffin, and inside that coffin is something that remains a mystery to me. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Dun, dun, so dun. I have one more question. Oh, okay. And this is, we used to do icebreaker questions with people. We didn't think we needed it. You, you've got enough personality that you just kind of come in and, and own it, right? But one of the icebreaker questions was if there was a movie about your life, one, what would it be about? And two, who would play you? Yeah, well, I you know, I would have said Mel Gibson, but now that we know he's a drunken anti-Semitic wife beater, I'm going to have to pass. Um, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd like to see Brad because of you know the obvious uh, physical uh, similarities and particularly in our uh, abs but um, the yeah. movie I think it would be it's a wonderful life and I'm gonna stick with Ooh, Jimmy Stewart he nailed oh. the part uh, because the title alone is true I think it's been a wonderful life for me uh, and I love the romance in that movie between the uh, uh, Georgia Bailey and his wife, and I've been married to my lovely bride for 34 years. So, uh, and uh, you know, I'm a pretty self-sacrificing dude. I like to think that I'm the guy that makes sure that everybody gets to pursue their dreams. And and so I just only hope that uh, any day now, a bunch of people are going to walk into my house and throw money on my piano. Oh, uh, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and what's your wife's name? Lori. Lori, okay, I thought it was going to, for some reason, I thought it was Rita. I was like, oh, and the relation between Rita Hayward, that would have worked really nice, but no. Okay. 
Yeah. Oh, Lori. That is a great yeah. movie though. We watch that every year as a kid growing up yeah. all throughout it every year. Yeah. I, I also like the princess bride. So, you know, because that, that was a yeah, exactly I am inconceivable. In I'm the, I like the one that you killed my father. Prepare to die. Yeah. Get yeah. <laughs> my father. So many great miracle max yeah <laughs> so many i haven't watched that for such a long time let's get everybody in it let's get um colombo's in it um Columbo, Andre, yeah. Ryan. yeah he was the narrator yeah that's mm -hmm. awesome but yeah well we we really do appreciate your time yeah um a lot of fun is there anything you would ask us <laughs> <laughs> how long have you been doing this podcast and and why'd you start it year and a half we started kind of as an accountability tool. 2019 was to get our health and businesses in the best shape of our adult lives. And then decided for 2020 to pivot to leadership and mental health. Yeah. Well, we accomplished half of that, I think. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they go hand in hand, right? I mean, so, yeah. Some days are a little more mentally healthy, right? Yeah. Right. And yeah. so being vulnerable too. And Ben works in finance, remember? So there's nothing saying about the market right now. <laughs> yeah. Your podcast viewers and listeners probably didn't see him sobbing uncontrollably right before we yeah. started recording. <laughs> Somebody Way to put on a brave face. <laughs> I know everybody's like, "How are the windows locked at uh, at your firm? Are you uh, are you guys doing okay?" He's wearing Velcro shoes. We took the shoelaces away from him. <laughs> I saw another guy in the building today wearing a tie, and I was like, you need to take that tie off. We can't hang each other with a no tie hanging. Yeah. No ties. Well, uh, we'll for sure reach out, and we're in Walla Walla. When you're in Spokane, let us know. We'd love to buy you a drink and dinner, your wife as well. Um, Dave Mitchell, again. how do people find you? Uh, go to www.theleadershipdifference.com. Social media? Yes. Facebook is The Leadership Difference. Uh, LinkedIn is Dave Mitchell slash TLD. Uh, Instagram is The Leadership Difference. And Twitter, it's at Dave with TLD. I like it. The Leadership Difference. We'll tag TLD. you in everything that we put out and make sure that some people uh, check out what you're doing. Um, but yeah, thanks so much. And yeah, I appreciate you coming on today. To you guys that are still listening. Be good to yourselves and to each other. Boom.
Bye.